0: to introduce yourself, that would be great. Okay, all right. All right, so thank you everyone for coming to listen to us speak earlier before your meeting starts. Um, I'm Lynette Rhodes, I actually work for the City of Madison. I work in the Community Development Division of the City of Madison, Um, and this is?
1: My name is Christina Dukes, I work at the Community Action Coalition, also known as CAC, here in Madison.
0: So we were asked to come and do this presentation um, by Lisa Veldren and other people from the City of Madison. The City of Madison um, and other participants of uh, Dane County Continuum of Care have signed up to this initiative of Zero by 2016. Uh, The Zero 2016 has a steering committee, which Christina and I both sit on, and that's why we came to do the presentation for you guys. So, the Zero 2016 initiative is about ending homelessness, especially chronic homelessness. So the steering committee, when we first started talking about this initiative, we wanted to look at our current data. So some of you guys might know, but we collect data on a Dane County-wide basis, and once a year we have a snapshot of how many homeless people are actually in our community. So on the screen above is the number of homeless people the last night of Wednesday um, in January 2014. So we send this information to HUD, and as you guys can see, um, it's been pretty steady Since 2012, we have some increases, some decreases. The most important thing to see here is our chronic and veteran numbers, which are the red and brown numbers on the bottom. They've been pretty steady. So when HUD saw this, one of the things that they said is, you know, you'd be a good candidate to try some of these best practices and get some technical assistance from our national office of how to end veterans and chronic homeless within a certain time period. So the Dane County Continuum of Care signed up along with 71 other communities. So here's a map of all the other communities that signed on to this initiative to end chronic and veteran homelessness. It's been great having other partners in this initiative because we've been paired with some sister cities. So for instance, Christina and I went to a training where we were paired with Ann Arbor, who has very similar demographics, a college town, and we were able to share best ideas and best practices with these other communities. So like I said, there's 71 other communities that are signed on to this. They're all at different stages. Some have said that they have reached zero when it comes to veteran and chronic homeless. Um, Some are in the initial stages like us. We do have um, a lot of communities that are committed to this process. So like I said, we have people that we can bounce ideas back. We get technical assistance on the national level that's sending us best practices of what we should be doing. So the first thing that we looked at is, what are we trying to do? What are our goals? So using that point in time data that I showed you before, we said, we know how many veterans and how many chronic homeless people are in our city in one night. So as a group, we said, by the end of 2015, we are going to place 130 vets into housing. And by the end of 2016, we are going to place 135 chronically homeless people in housing. That was our goal. We call them takedown numbers. So that's the number of people that we want to house by each year. We know that there are homeless families out there as well. Um, That is a priority for us and a lot of our organizations. Right now in this initiative, though, we're really focusing on vets and chronic homeless. And we know that using some of these best practices that we will be able to initially then go into housing the homeless families in 2017.
1: Um, So the one thing I really like about Zero 2016 is we're able to involve many different uh, people, many different groups all together to uh, form this initiative to to end homelessness. So, for instance, we we have the continuum of care. We have local housing and service providers. We meet regularly. So there's tons of groups around the table, um, tons of organizations, anywhere from grassroots to outreach, um, CAC, TRC, Porchlight, Salvation Army, the city, the county, and so forth. So um, we're all um, using our thoughts um, together to, to make this work. Uh, we're also um, going to be engaging more landlords, we're hoping. Um, CAC is actually taking the lead on a landlord engagement, um, kind of, I don't know if you want to say workshop, seminar. We're going to be holding a meeting and probably be around in February or March. Uh, The National League of Cities, which is involved with the Zero 2016 campaign nationally, has come, and um, they're going to provide us a lot of technical assistance um, to have that happen. We're hoping to recruit more landlords, um, educate more landlords, so we're able to um, get some more landlords on board. Um, And then also we're talking, like to you, like to officials, so that we can educate you more about what's going on, uh, where we're at, and, and how this all works. So the most important part of this is that um, homelessness will be rare, it'll be brief, and it won't occur again. So that's our ultimate goal Um, because we don't want homelessness to end up being chronic all the time. We don't want all our vets to be homeless. We want to have a system where the homelessness is brief and we're able to put them in the housing right away. So one of the ways that we do this is to work through the coordinated entry system um, that we have in place. It was developed around 2012-13 and um, basically it's a centralized resource for housing resources and it's also kind of a centralized resource to be able to have, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a, a little bit, but it's a prioritization list for housing, so HUD-funded units, um, supportive housing, rapid rehousing units um, that are, and we have this prioritization list where those that are most in need are um, put around, put on the top of the list. So it's not who you know, it's, it's based entirely on your need. Um, we want to make sure we're providing wraparound services. Obviously, participants, besides being homeless, might have other things that need to be addressed. I mean, that could be anywhere from you know physical disability, mental disability, um, you know how they're going to get their food, how they you know helping them stay in housing. And we want to make sure that we have data driven decisions. So, Lynette talked a little bit about the point in time. So, we're basing our goals on data that we've collected. We're going to base future goals on the data that we collect within a system called the Homeless, or I'm sorry, the Housing Management. No, homeless. <laughs> homeless Management Information System, or HMIS. I'm so used to using the acronym. Um, to be able to pull data, be able to pull that prioritization list, and pull um, who, who we're actually serving and who we want to serve. So as Lynette said, we do have a steering committee. I talked a little bit about the, the number of people around the table for that steering committee. We've already started meeting monthly, and I think we've been doing that for a while now, um, where we're able to meet together and, and work on these goals. I mean, every time we meet, there's always something to do or to work out. We have a community-wide um, assessment. It's called the VI SPDAT. Uh, It another acronym, I don't even remember what it stands for, but it's a vulnerability index. (laughs) Oh there, it's way up there. So it's better to call it the VI-SPDAT than anything else. It's a common assessment tool, and basically it's an acuity of needs. So basically, uh, the individuals that we serve, um, every agency has access to the VI-SPDAT organization, whoever it may be, and they conduct an assessment with the participant. It gives you a score. It gives you a score based on the need. And based on that score, it kind of tells you what housing is most best fit for them. So let's say the higher score, like an 18, is more for permanent supportive housing. Supportive services while in housing for some people that have a documented disability. A lower score, let's say a 12, might be more fit for rapid rehousing. Uh, somebody that just might need more, you know, 24 months worth of services and then, you know, um, they'll be fine on their own. And then they have the housing prioritization list, which I mentioned. We worked really hard with our HMIS provider to make sure that this is one system. So all the agencies have access to make a referral through coordinated intake to this prioritization list. So anybody who's homeless wants an assessment, can receive an assessment, can be put on this prioritization list for both permanent housing, permanent supportive housing, and rapid rehousing.
0: Um, three other key components that we continue to work on is our relationship with the VA especially our local VA Uh, the VA has access to other federal funding like HUD VASH vouchers that are going to help the veterans with some of their rental payments once they get into units so we want to make sure that we're communicating with them to make sure we're both on the same page of what services are provided to the veterans that we're housing we also have a housing placement group this group is just now starting to form and it's going to meet on a weekly basis, and it's made up of housing providers and outreach workers. And the goal of this group is to actually look at that priority list, look at the names of the individuals that are on the list, and make assessments of who has open beds, and then who is at that list, um, and who can take that person. The outreach workers are there then to talk about the needs and the counseling that that person would need once they get into those housing units. So it's putting a name and having discussion about the people that are on that priority list. Another key component that we're working on is educating everybody on the importance of housing first, making sure that individuals can access housing and can get into housing, and then we can come in and do harm reduction and case management with them, as long as they have stable housing that they can rely on. So with those key components and what we've been working on is just our current data. Now what you can see up here is first we separate the vets who we're placing and the chronic homeless that we're placing. So on this graph, the green line based on our takedown targets, so our goal of who we want to house by the end of 2015 would be the average that we need to place each month in order to reach zero by the end of 2015. The orange line going down is if you were to reach that average where you will actually be based on um, HUD's numbers. But the most important thing to look at in the graph is the blue numbers of who were actually housing each month. So those are the, the placement numbers, as we call them. You can see we were off to a little bit of slow start once we started um, the initiative, but we still wanted to collect the data to see where people were going and how many people were able to utilize those HUD bash vouchers out engaging with landlords as you can see there were not a lot of vets placed at the beginning but lately we've had a turnaround in helping the uh, especially the vets that are shopping with the HUD VASH vouchers um, to gain access to housing The next one is our chronic homeless. So this one, the goal is the end of 2016. So it spread out a little bit farther, and as you can see, um, if we were to continue to um, house people at the average that we're supposed to, which is about eight per month, we would, by the end of 2016, reach zero chronic homeless people on our priority list. Um, The important thing also about these charts is we are now that we have collected all this data going to look at our numbers again. So 0-2016 is the name of the initiative. A lot of people ask me, do you really think you're going to house these people by the end of 2016? Based on our data, it probably won't happen by the end of 2016. We will continue to try and continue using these best practices that we've been learning, but we will probably push out the data a little bit based on the data that we're collecting of who we're housing. So, when we were
1: in Denver, we were um, tasked with how we um, think that the community can help out in this initiative. And um, the first and foremost thing, I think, is identifying housing units. So going back to more landlord engagement, getting the word out, really hoping that uh, landlords are going to be able to say, yes, I'll dedicate at least one or two or 10% of my units to this initiative. Um, So identifying housing units um, is going to be key. We also want to make sure that we have enough supportive services so, why, when people are moved into housing, that they have the support services to succeed. Um, and so that's what becomes really important to be able to be able to provide that ongoing case management, that ongoing support for the um, for the participants that move into housing.
0: Um, one of the things that we hear from the cities that have reached zero is um, Their leaders really stepped up and made this a priority So that's another thing that we're looking at is we need leaders to say yes ending homelessness is a priority We want staff to be working on it. We want our agencies to be working on it We want our boards and our elected officials um, to understand the process of what we're trying to do the city right now has just um, Posted a job to hire a zero 2016 coordinator to help the steering committee, um, people like me and Christine and other um, people who are trying to do this with all of our other tasks to really focus on those key components and keeping the ball um, moving in the right direction and managing all of these different various tasks that come with this priority list and the housing inventory. We also just need people to activate their networks. If you know of landlords, if you um, talk to other people about this initiative, please continue discussing it. Um, You know, talk to city staff about it because we do think it's pretty important um, to continue. So we're on to questions. Any questions? questions? Alderistick. Thank you. I don't know if you wanted to use mics. Um, Probably, because we're filming, aren't we? Um, To your last slide, if you had to prioritize the kind of biggest need between housing units and supportive services as far as our current capacity in Madison, what would you prioritize? Okay. So I'll I'll answer that it's it's a mix of of both where the city is in a really good direction of putting priority on housing units but when we talk about housing units it's not just about the new units we're building it's also about engaging the landlords and the current units so right now we're putting the priority on housing units Um, HUD-VASH and a couple of the other systems that support people to be in housing units come with case management. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a lack of education, even for landlords that are out there, that these people would be, you know, entering the housing units, but they will have support services attached to them in some way. Mm -hmm. So housing units, I think, is where we're going right now in top priority.
2: Thank you. Further questions? Alder Aarons? Could you go back to the first slide in in the count? So, so the point in time, there were 800 people in 2015, and last Wednesday, or
3: whatever.
2: Um, It's it's just hard for me to understand that there are 700 people who are homeless in the last week in January. That is on the these people on the street.
0: No, these people aren't on the street. So our point-in-time count consists of who's staying in shelter and transitional housing and then who's on the street. So it was 716 people were housed in shelter that night, and then it was 92 people were on the street that night. So we do count both the night of the point-in-time of who is literally homeless, staying in a shelter, and who's literally homeless, sleeping on the streets. But it was 92 people that were on the streets. And
2: and tell me again what the definition is for chronic?
0: Chronic homeless is you've been homeless consistently for one year, or you've had three separate incidences of homelessness within four years, and you have a documented disability. Oh. That's chronic
2: illness. And when you say a documented disability, what, I mean, you mean you're on SSI or you're That's a great example. That's a great
1: example. It's, but, great example. it's uh, not, it doesn't mean you have to be an SSI. I mean, somebody with a documented disability probably has had um, multiple ER visits, probably has received maybe some diagnosis or has, there's some kind of, you know, physical disability that is mm-hmm. very apparent even to if they end up in an emergency room. So the documented disability has to be signed off if they move into like a, a permanent supportive housing kind of uh, unit from HUD. But it, you don't necessarily have to receive SSI. Part of getting them into housing is so that you have them stabilized so they're able to apply, apply for disability so, yeah. and go through the appeal process with that supportive services we were talking about.
2: So it's all of those... those Lack of housing over different periods, plus the documented disability. Correct. Mm-hmm. And if somebody wants to get documented, do you do that?
1: Well, we, we <laughs> so if they're on the streets and they, let's say, outreach worker, and they want to engage in some type of services, let's say an outreach worker, they would help them apply for that disability. But again, if they're homeless, you know, they're very transit, or they might not be there, you know, in a few months to be able to follow up. Mm-hmm. With that so that's you why you want
2: to so, not to apply yeah. for SSI a I understand it's a very complex yeah. legal process Correct. but just even to get documented as someone with a disability
1: uh, it, it has to be signed off by like a physician so hopefully you know if that person isn't hooked up medically mm-hmm. then that's going to take like an outreach worker or somebody that's working with them to start to be able to see somebody um, for that so it can become documented and then we can can move forward
3: Thanks. Alder Cheeks. Thank
1: you.
3: So it seems to me that um, the, this whole initiative and, and your work is based on um, the data so, uh, as best we understand it, right? Can you talk a little bit about the data that we have and the confidence in our understanding of the data that we have? And then I'll follow up with, can you tell me more about the limitations and where you wish it would get better?
0: Um, so I actually organized the point in time so there there are limitations to the data um, we pretty much engage with as many people as we can possibly um, bring to the table to make sure that we're counting all of the right people. Um, We collect point in time data and we also collect annual data. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do that is to make sure that our data is as accurate as possible. So bringing the right people to the table to make sure that we're um, kind of, the night of the point in time, we're actually going out and we're sending groups of volunteers um, throughout the whole county to find the people who are sleeping on the streets or in uninhabitable places. Um, So bringing the right people to the table who know where those people are is important. Um, So there's always room for improvement in data, but right now I would say we're, we're pretty confident in what we're, what we're doing. And then um, Christine was just reminding me, we do a January point in time and we also do a July point in time. Again, the reason is not just who, we wanna see who's sleeping on the streets in the winter and the summer, it's also just to kind of gauge um, how many people we see twice a year um, and, and see if there's any irregularities. Hmm.
3: Um, Point-in-time data I know is a a popular method that many communities use. I I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if there are any other ways that communities try to get at this same uh, understanding, whether it's analyzing um, hospital visits or or engagements in other ways. I wonder if there are other ways to get at uh, trying to understand this.
0: It's usually, so what we've learned, we've, um, well, I've gone to two trainings now. We were out in Denver and then um, D.C. to look at data. And our um, training in D.C. was all about data. Um, Data for three days. It was fun. Yeah. Um, But, and exactly. So we're using point in time, and we're also using that annual data. And what we're trying to kind of estimate with the data is not just who's homeless one night, but then... Um, who's going to become homeless because of the system that we have, within that next year. So when we say our goal is like you know 135 chronically homeless people, that wasn't just because we had 135 chronic or um, you know chronic homeless people. So like for instance, our our point in time in January, we had 67 vets that were identified during that point in time. So we take that number, we look at how many vets were also homeless throughout a whole period, like throughout a whole year. And then we can say, okay, um, how many people do we expect will come into our system throughout the year? Another thing that we just did is we mapped our whole system. So we looked at every single exit that people made when they left shelter or outreach, and we looked at where did they go. So we were um, trying to use our data to decide, are people exiting outreach in our homeless shelters and going to transitional housing? Are they going right to permanent housing? Are they finding stable housing on their own? And so all of those kind of key factors help us with making these decisions about where we're going and what we're doing. Mm
1: Uh, we also looked at our transitional housing programs. We, that was all analyzed because under HUD transitional, people are in transitional housing are counted as homeless. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of take a look at those programs to see if they're effective or maybe they should reallocate dollars to be um, permanent housing instead.
3: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Alder Sellers. Um, yes, I'm just wondering what exactly, what information do you collect? Did you say uh, in the point of time survey? So, um, you're t- like the demographics. Just anything when you interact with the <laughs> uh, person. We, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot. Um, so we collect. Let's see, I have it. Um, We ask them if they're chronically homeless. We ask them if they have mental illness. We ask them if they have um, substance abuse problems. We ask them if they're veterans, Um, if they have HIV or AIDS, if they're victims of domestic violence, um, and what their age is. All those demographics. You bet. And um, what is the typical reaction?
1: Are people usually pretty um, cooperative, or are they not interested
0: in talking to you? Or uh-huh. exactly, how does that go usually? So. Um when we divide out the teams that go out for the point in time, I always assign a team leader to be one of the outreach workers. So that outreach worker usually is familiar with some of the people that are out on the street. So they interact very well with that outreach worker and the volunteers that are with them. We also send our outreach workers out before the point in time to talk to people and educate them and let them know that these volunteers are going to be coming out and asking these questions. to make sure that people are um, okay with asking us these, those, these questions. Um, the first question, though, is are you comfortable answering these questions? And if they say no, we count them. We say, okay, we've, we documented that there was a homeless person sleeping here. We just don't collect any of the data. Further questions? Elder Balde?
3: So does this number also include kids?
0: It doesn't include families. So we had, um, in 2015, there were uh, um, no families that were identified as unsheltered, but there were 112 families that were sheltered that night. Um, And in that though, that was 356 people total in families. So 112 families, but a total of 356 people. Um, and then there was 360 singles identified in shelter, 92 singles that were unsheltered.
1: So how do you establish contact with people who are not at the shelters, like in the street? How do you decide to go to State Street or any of the street to look for these people?
0: Um, So that's part of the point-in-time planning that so right now we're looking at that for the next January Point-in-time count so we pretty much get together starting all the way in October and we talk about known locations So the police the school district other outreach workers um, Tell us where they have identified where people are we also have a big map of the city So we send people out to the known locations where we know that there are people that are camping or where there are cars Um, and then we also ask them during their time that they're out there to canvas other streets so in the downtown area this last year we divided it up into two groups that went street by street um, in the downtown area to engage people in this count so it, it's all part of the planning process.
1: So as part of the question that you asked, do you also ask them if, uh, because we've had argument here where some of them would rather be homeless, do you ask them if they prefer that lifestyle or not, like to live in the street? Do you do you collect their data as to who really wants to get in housing?
0: No, we, we don't ask them um,
1: that question. Okay, thank you.
0: We have two other Alders in the
1: queue in about five minutes, so Alder Carter. Hi. I just want to know, is there a cutoff for the family shelters for teenage boys? For example, in Michigan, if a teenage boy reaches 14,
2: they have to go to a men's shelter. So what rules do
1: we have here? Actually, we do not have any rules like that. Okay.
3: That's Thank you, Alder Fair. Thanks. Um, So um, this obviously doesn't take into account families that are without, are homeless, but are living with other families, right? Because I've heard the number of about a thousand students in the the school district that are without homes. Um, So. wondering if you can, or how do, I don't know what my question really is, but I mean that, so it doesn't really, that number that we see up there doesn't necessarily identify the truly amount of families and kids that are homeless in our community. Can you react to that or respond to that at all?
0: Sure. Um, So you're absolutely right. So when we do this point in time count right now, we use HUD's definition of people who are literally homeless. So people who are doubled up and at least are sleeping in some um, place that was meant for habitation are not counted. I actually met with the the school district today, um, and we are doing VI-Spedaps, though, for people who are doubled up as well. We want to make sure that we understand what their situations are, so even though they are not HUD chronically homeless, they are st- getting the same assessment, so we can see where they are on the range of the scale of, you know, do these individuals need permanent supportive housing, rapid rehousing? So they're, they are getting the same assessment going forward. That's great. So we can
1: use that data to make further decisions. Sure. Great. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.